Hi everyone, welcome to a brand new episode of the Behold Podcast on the Genre Equality channel. My name is Hitzer. Hi, buddy. Uh, and this week, we are here to talk about um, one of the greatest, I'm not kidding, films of all time, mm-hmm. Paddington 2, as well as Paddington in general as a franchise, mm-hmm. um, where it came from as children's books, cartoons. all the way to it, cartoons, all the way to its recent adaptations as two critically acclaimed award-winning films. Um, in fact, if you've been following film Twitter discourse over the past couple of years, you might have been a little confused if you have not seen the Paddington movies um, as you know, a lot of big critics, a lot of big websites mm-hmm. like Metacritic or Rotten Tomatoes uh, seem to be positioning Paddington 2 as, if not the greatest film of the 21st century, but the greatest film of all time, at least according to aggregated reviews. Yeah, but um, yeah, that's true. A lot of people were shocked by this, particularly people who have not seen Paddington 2, which is, I guess, the majority of adults in the world. <laughs> um, but as fans of Paddington, the franchise, Paddington 1 and Paddington 2, mm-hmm. um, are you at all surprised by the widespread, free, uh, um, widespread praise and the critical acclaim and the general you know, celebration of Paddington 2 amongst like serious film critics like what is your opinion about this do you think it's better than citizen, citizen kane for example like does it deserve to top citizen kane on all these websites okay yeah in terms of feeling when you watch a movie right mm. paddington 2 hits that it was very timely because it was very um, mm. sweet, it was very nice, very positive, and it was something that felt like you kind of needed during that time. The the beginning of the Trump era, right? Something like that, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. you know? Yep. Um, but when you look at, like, uh, Citizen Kane, for example, mm. that was about revolutionary cinema, right? Like, uh, mm-hmm. new methods of filming, um, the, the, the weird um, putting of a story together. Mm. Right? It was more of an experiment, I guess. Yeah. 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 Uh, but I, I guess in its own way, Citizen Kane was timely because of its subject matter. Correct. The newspaper industry. Uh, the, the control the person of information that is... and all. Correct, correct. Uh, the, the William Randolph Hertz and this composite character of, you know, and that and Joseph Pulitzer and all the tycoons of the time, right? Agreed. Um, I suppose... It, we weren't around during 1941. Exactly. Like, so perhaps that is why it, it lacks that, that emotional or visceral or like timely connect, connection for us. Although I respect films like Citizen Kane or The Godfather mm. and things like that, you know. But when Paddington 2 came out, it kind of struck a chord with me. I had never seen anything quite like that. Mm. Um, visually, um, it, it, it reminded me a bit of uh, Wes Anderson, if Wes Anderson could tell an emotional story. Um so, that, that is what Paddington 2 was, you know. But let, let's, let's go back to the to the history of Paddington, of Paddington in general. Paddington as a franchise. The, the the kindly bear that we've all come to know and love. It was the creation of a children's book yes. offer um, by the name of Michael Bond, mm-hmm. who wrote a series of very sweet, small-scale books about the titular bear. Um, so named because he was found at Paddington Station. Station in London uh, after, spend, after spending his early years in quote-unquote 
darkest Peru. Um, Bond originally wanted Paddington to have arrived from somewhere in Africa until it was pointed out to him that no bears don't live in Africa. <laughs> yeah. um, subsequently, Paddington Bear was uh, adopted by the Brown family, uh, Henry, Mary, Judy, and Jonathan. And Paddington explores London and gets to know this very busy new world he's landed in, especially his new neighbours uh, or, or neighbourhood of Windsor Gardens. Um, his blue jacket and red hat and and everything, you know, it, it completes his iconic appearance. Mm-hmm. And everyone in London seems to be just fine with the idea of a talking bear who loves marmalade. Mm-hmm. Uh, Paddington, in essence, right, is a very well-behaved seven-year-old child. Like, he's a bear, but he behaves like a kid. He is polite to all, looks for the good in other people, mm-hmm. and takes in the world with great curiosity. Um, he also has a tendency to get in over his head and make huge messes, which are mostly forgiven because he's such a thoughtful and kind bear. Mm-hmm. He's a classic children's book character, gentle but rambunctious, you know. Yeah. And, and, and Michael Bond produced numerous Paddington titles between 1958 with the first book, A Bear Called Paddington, mm-hmm. all the way up to his death in 2017 with his final Paddington book being published posthumously in the summer of 2018, mm-hmm. uh, commemorating the 60th anniversary of the first books. And those books have ranged from you know, collections of one of Paddington stories he published in other publications to children's picture books. But the core Paddington titles are the 15 chapter books that... Uh, about the bear that was published between 1958 and 2018. Yeah. Uh, and these all contain several smaller adventures, each taking up its own uh, chapter. Um, throughout the time of its release, you know, from, from 1958 to, to today, have you had any um, encounters or, or, or personal relationships with the books? Because I personally never uh, read the books okay. or watched the cartoons up until the Pennington films. But okay. I think you have a better knowledge of its source material than I do, right? Yes, and that's because of my mom. Yeah. So okay. my mom's a kindergarten teacher, oh. and so, but even before she was a kindergarten teacher, she she was already she already loved Paddington. Mm. So she bought all the books and all that, and that was where I was introduced to the books when I was like really young. Mm. Um, and that continued, um, you know, all the way through my early childhood, lah. You know, till mm. I was like maybe eight or nine when I stopped reading it. Yep. Yeah, because I I guess I outgrew the books in a in a way. Of course. Yeah. However, there was um there's something about the lessons of Paddington that kind of um helped me shape my childhood in that sense also la. Mm, Which, how to? No like, like you know to be polite you know to how to talk to adults you know um mm. how to express yourself yep. without being a nuisance la. <laughs> uh yes yeah. yes but all this is in retrospect like it didn't occur to me that that was the kind of impact Paddington had until like years later mm-hmm. you know so um yeah so because of my mom's love of Paddington introduced it to me then I also love Paddington until we named our yep. cat Paddington oh yes I forgot that your cat is named Paddy yeah <laughs> yeah so yeah, this is this is literally the perfect behold yeah. topic for you, lah. Not not only did we watch Paddington two together, together yeah. in cinemas, but your cat was actually named after Paddington. Exactly. So boy, uh, so your your cat was already around, right, at the time when we watched Paddington. Yes, yes, yes. My cat's seventeen years old. Oh boy, I've, man, how did I not pick this up when I invited you to watch Paddington? Yeah. <laughs> uh, so yeah, you had like a, a long running relationship with the books. Yeah, you read it long. as a kid and all of that. Um, did you ever see the television adaptation? Uh, I saw the cartoon. 
the cartoon. Yeah. Uh, what, what do you what do you think of it? Um, okay, again, this was when I was very young. Mm-hmm. It was it was quite uh, entertaining for for that age group lah. When I was yep. around seven to I mean uh five to eight. Mm-hmm. Um, I think now you can find it on YouTube actually all these classic cartoons. Correct. Um, yeah. you know, like he's just going on these misadventures, you know. I I remember mm-hmm. one where there was like some spy thriller episode, you know, oh. of like exchanges of like suitcases. You know, he carries his suitcase, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So you know, like how like KGB agents and MI six agents will like exchange suitcases and all that stuff. Yeah, that's when yeah. I was like this kind of mix up where one of the the bad guys like got Paddington's suitcase. Well, Paddington had like. The spy suitcase, you know, and, and oh wow, a bit suitcase. like a, a bit like a North by Northwest or like Spy Family or something. <laughs> exactly, it's cute. Yeah, so yeah, that kind of thing. So that was my experience with it, lah. Um, mm. So when I came into the movie, I had a certain expectation. I mean, when I came, yeah, I had a certain expectation of what Paddington is and yep. how he should be, lah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean. Uh, the Paddington TV shows, I like I like I mentioned, I've never seen the mm. TV shows, I've never read the books. But I mean, quite notably from what I've read about it, Paddington has been adapted several yeah. times for television. Um, I think one of the most celebrated ones was the 1975 BBC series being a particular standout mm. because it was a blend of stop-motion puppetry with Paddington as a stop-motion puppet with two-dimensional traditional illustrated backgrounds, you know. Um, and from what I've seen on YouTube, it looked like nothing else on children's television at the time or today because it underlined why Londoners seem so unfazed by Paddington's presence. Mm-hmm. Uh, Pennington being the 3D puppet, right, was more real than the 2D people mm-hmm. in the world, you know. Um, and that certainly must have seemed true to his uh, youngest fans. You know, Pennington seemed more real than the real people. Uh, but despite Pennington's TV success, as I mentioned, it took up until um, 2014 for the bear to get a big screen movie adaptation. Um, I would have assumed that, you know, back in the 60s or 70s, he would have gotten a movie already, but no. Um, the current film franchise that we're talking about was the first time it was ever adapted for the big screen. And everything about it in the beginning mm-hmm. seemed to be a massive warning sign. Um, Colin Firth, who had originally been contracted as the voice of Paddington, dropped out of the project yep. mere months before it was uh, supposed to be released. And he was replaced by Ben Whishaw, whose younger sounding voice proved to be a better fit for the character. Mm-hmm. Um, the trailers that were released played up the movie's broadest, wackiest moments. It seemed... Like, yet another cheap kids movie. Yes. Like, a Minions or whatever, you know. A computer-animated uh, characters with very real actors interacting unconvincingly with a lot of kind of, like, a very broad slapstick gags and about bodily functions and stuff like, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. As it turns out, there was a major um, boo-boo by the marketing department because that was not what the movie was. Mm-hmm. Paddington 1 ended up being a stealthy success thanks to the winsome writing and direction from director Paul King. As I said, Paul King, the battle as Anderson. And a cast filled with heavy hitters, including everyone from Sally Hawkins to Hugh Bonneville to the villain, Nicole Kidman, to even Peter Capaldi. Um, The movie was greeted with great reviews and $250 million at the worldwide box office. Uh, Did you catch Paddington 1 when it came out before you watched Paddington 2? Um, This is weird. I didn't. Oh, okay. Yeah, Uh, It kind of... I guess also the marketing wasn't as strong when it came out. Marketing was terrible. It totally misframed the movie. Exactly. So it didn't even occur to me that there was a Paddington movie. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. 
So I watched it in retrospect after we watched Paddington 2. Mm. Well, what, what, now that you've seen it, right, what, what do you think of Paddington 1? Actually, it really holds up. Like, it, it's really great. Right? I think it's almost equal in quality to same. Paddington 2. Almost. Right? I, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I feel the Paddington 2 adventure was slightly bigger. Sure, yeah. But the heart in Paddington 1 was something that they captured really well. Mm-hmm. I mean, 2 also did it, but I'm just saying that for a first movie, that was something that was important. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, definitely, you know. Um, it would have been hard to predict when Paddington 1 came out yep. that a sequel would be natural at that point, Correct. you know. Um, although there was a bit of a snafu with the sequel as well. It had to switch dis- distributors in the US because of... Um, if you notice in the credits, Paddington 1 was distributed by the Weinstein Company. Yep. And if you know when Paddington 2 was released, you know what, what happened? happened to Harvey Weinstein then. Yeah. Uh, so it switched to Warner Brothers. Ruin um, Pharaoh happened. Ruin Pharaoh happened. So it had to switch to the WB, the Warner Brothers, you know. Um, and I think besides the Batman and Harry Potter franchise, Paddington was the kind of biggest moneymaker for Warner Brothers at mm-hmm. the time. Um, and definitely more than Batman and and all of the Snyder Cut or whatever, it was the, the best critically reviewed thing that WB has released in some time. Yeah. Uh, but it would have been hard to predict that Paddington 2 would match, or in the eyes of some critics, this one included, exceed its predecessor. Mm-hmm. Um, here's a broad general question for you. Sure. Um, I actually think, in my opinion, mm. that Paddington 2 is the greatest film of the 21st century, mm. like of the last 22 years. Um, it's a, it's arguable, I think, at least sure. like it's yeah. But I I, I personally place it at, at the at the number one. Mm-hmm. Some people um quite correctly say that it might be one of the best films of all time. Mm. Where does it rank for you? Okay, I'm I kind of agree with you here. Mm-hmm. I'll put it in my top three of all time. Yeah. Of all time, and how about of the twenty first century? I'll call it a tie. Uh, yeah, okay. What, what, what does it tie with? Godfather 2. Uh, Godfather 2 wasn't in the 21st century though. 21st century? Yeah, the last 22 years. La. Oh no, sorry, sorry, sorry. I I, I, There's a... I got confused Godfather... with the timelines. Godfather 2 was in the 20th century. I'll still, I'll still say that... Yeah, yeah, okay. 21st century... Yes, you might be right then. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there, 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 there are a few here and there, like, you know, your portrait of a lady on fires and uh, parasites mm. and, you know, so, some of the other stuff there, arrivals out there. But, no, but I mean, Paddington 2 certainly has to be. And, like, yeah. You know, I think Paddington 2 might be it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, in terms of reach, um, the, the fact that it affects adults, kids, old men, young women, people of all ethnicities, you know, that kind of four quadrant reach. Well, except one Nothing. reviewer uh, that hits it, uh. One reviewer, but the thing is, right? Like most films will have more than one review who didn't like exactly. it. The fact, the fact that, that there was only one reviewer in the entire world, in the age of the internet, where yeah. you know everyone, including us, are reviewing films, right? Yep. Like the fact that only one person didn't like it just shows its broad appeal. Yeah. Um. How how widespread uh, the acclaim is, you know. Um. The first thing you might notice if you watch the first Paddington, which is available on Netflix actually right now, um, is that it's not constantly blaring to get your attention. No. I think where many kids' movies turn up the volume and shout at viewers, uh, Paddington is a comparatively gentle experience. Mm-hmm. The best adventures are whimsical more than they are boisterous. And even when he causes mayhem, it's kind of very small-scale mayhem. Yeah. And in the second film, a major plot point revolves around him giving someone a bad haircut. Uh, not exactly a high-stakes situation. Nope. 
Uh, but it ends up being amusing and funny and heartwarming and and everything that Pennington is. Mm-hmm. Uh, the movie that Pennington reminds me most of in terms of its gentle, bucolic storybook feel is the 1995 film Babe. Uh, which proved to be um, a surprising Oscar favorite. And much like that movie, Paddington is a sneaky, subtle call for tolerance and good manners. And like that movie sequel, Big Pig in the City, Paddington 2 is a slightly more serious look at what happens when you put the titular character's pleas for politeness into a darker kind of um, post-Brexit, post-Trump, post-Boris Johnson kind of context, yeah. you know. Um, in the sequel, Paddington is framed for the theft of a very expensive one-of-a-kind pop-up book, yep. which he has been saving up for, intending to send to his Aunt Lucy back home in Peru. Yeah. Um, the, the villain is a washed-up actor, uh, Phoenix Buchanan, played by Hugh Grant oh. in, uh, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say, the performance of his lifetime. Yes. Um, it, is, it is played with such heavy precision mm-hmm. that I laughed at every single thing he did, uh, but because nobody suspe- suspects the handsome, upstanding Phoenix... And too many people suspect a bear. Uh, you know, he is an immigrant. He is different. Uh, Pennington is sent to jail where he meets the ferocious uh, Knuckles McGinty, played by Brandon Gleeson. Uh, and he sees his every belief put to the test. And meanwhile, the Browns, his family, do their damnedest to win Paddington's release. Uh, I don't believe it's a spoiler to say that things turn out well in the end. Sure. Good triumphs over evil and Paddington is reunited with his adopted family. Mm-hmm. But... The road there is filled with stressful moments, the darkest hour before the dawn, and trying times where Pennington wonders if doing the right thing is really worth it. Mm-hmm. Um, do the do the themes of Pennington two uh, elevate Pennington two over Pennington one? You know the, the the darker nature of it, the the idea that Pennington has to grapple with the idea that you know um, am I doing the right thing? Is politeness really the way to go? Can I win over these people? Um, that kind of thing, yep, you know. Yep. Um, uh, like what, what? What do you think about that in terms of Pennington too? Okay, like the stakes were a lot higher. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. And there was again, how? I mean, you put it in a, in a. I mean, even though it's a funny, um, nonsensical satire of a prison, it's still a prison. Yep. Yep. And you know these are hardcore criminals, right? Mm-hmm. And to see. It was like a reflection, you know, it's like putting a mirror onto yourself. Mm. Like, how, how can you judge these people you know, without getting to know them and all that? And that was something that Paddington kind of um, went by, like, even though it was his darkest time and his most yeah. like lowest point when he was even questioning whether the Browns were going to come and get him, mm-hmm. you know, or whether he was forgotten. Yeah, And like the prisoners, like, you know, they shouldn't be forgotten, like, you know, and you know, there was given character, and there was given a lot of this beautifully woven tapestry mm. of a piece, like. Yeah, you yeah. Know, by the yeah. end of it, I feel that, again, the good in people mm. triumphs over whatever bad habits they might have. The, the cynicism with people, they can't be rehabilitated, yeah. they can't be changed, you know. Um, I mean, the, the, the idea of like, have you ever tried being nice to these people or being kind to them? Yeah. Um, you know, perhaps they, would, they might react differently if you don't see them with suspicion. Um, that's the idea of Paddington as in general, uh, alongside Paddington. Exactly. Um, I think besides all of those like very, very heartwarming um, themes, it's also 
I think the second film also scales up the level of production. Oh yeah, definitely. By quite by quite a lot. Yeah. There is a climactic train chase that Ooh. would have blown the first movie's budget. Um, and at times the comedic action beats in those movies recall um some of the best uh comedy of the silent era, your Charlie Chaplin's yeah. or your Buster Keaton's, mm-hmm. in their commitment to stuffing as many visual gags into an action sequence as possible. Um, Paddington 2 even even um references a lot of Chaplin's films. Um, and Simon King, who who once again, uh, sorry, Paul King, who once again uh, directs and co-writes the screenplay for the second film, has a knack for turning his London setting into its best storybook self. It looks like mm-hmm. a storybook. There are, there are panoramic white shots that capture the day-to-day activities of Windsor mm-hmm. Gardens, everybody in the sleepy little neighbourhood going about their work. Uh, when Paddington is sent to prison, the neighbourhood starts to fall apart without the little bear exactly. around to be kind to everyone. And the scenes are peppered with little vignettes or performances by a Calypso band uh, that comments on the action. You know, mm-hmm. um, The prison, albeit it's, it's a gloomier setting, but it's also an excellent stage for production numbers. The Brown's home also has an elaborate pop-up diorama feel to it, filled with fine little details to pour over the edges of the frame. Um, in particular, the Pennington films, and two especially, are terrific at using these little bits with the Browns to set up story points mm-hmm. that seem unnecessary at first. Uh, until, say, you know, um, Mary training to swim, the English Channel comes in handy at precisely the right exactly. moments in the third act, you know. Um, and even the the obvious computer animation of Paddington has a hyper-real quality to it that blends perfectly with the storybook frames, yeah. you know. Um, it looks a bit uh, less jarring than, say, who who framed Roger Rabbit and, and things like mm-hmm. that. Um, King and the cast turn the world of Paddington 2 into a soothing, enjoyable night at the movies, if you haven't seen it, you know. But there's another more subtle reason, in my opinion, that Paddington 2 resonates at that particular, or resonated at that particular moment in history, and even still today. I think perhaps my favourite bit of Paddington 2 is that it's a gentle defence of the need and value of immigrant communities. Paddington himself being an immigrant community, um, and and the multi-ethnic, multicultural neighbourhood that he lives in is also that, you know. Um, Paddington has this kind of media riff uh, of you know um, of of the perse- persecution or suspicion of immigrant communities, uh. and and the story of Paddington is inherently an immigrant community. And even in the first film, you know, King and his collaborators celebrated to increase the multi multiculturalism of London in the twenty first century. Yeah. There is you know a calypso band after all, and Paddington too takes these ideas to a new height. Yeah. Um, I, I don't mistake this movie for preaching to anybody, you know. Um, even in a scene in which the Browns confront their vigilant neighbor, Mr. Curry, mm-hmm. right? Um, Peter Capaldi, over his inability to accept that Paddington is a good little bear simply because Mr. Curry has prejudged Paddington due to how he looks. Yeah. Um, Paddington 2 is a wonderful, wonderfully made movie in of itself, and it understands that its message is best grasped when you're couching a, a positive message, mm-hmm. not by beating you over the head, not by having like uh, five minute soliloquies in a courtroom like Aaron Sorkin does, yeah. you know, but 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 it couches it in an entertaining clockwork contraption of the story. The message is there. Yeah. Paddington's neighbors are diverse; they are multicultural. But the police clearly think Paddington committed a crime rather than Phoenix because one seems more like a criminal than them. That metaphor is there. The allegory is there. But you're not beaten over the head with it. And I think that's why it doesn't receive the backlash of more quote-unquote woke films, right? Don't you think? Agreed. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that, that's that's a great point. Um, mm. It doesn't feel preachy at all, right? Every moment is mm-hmm. earned. Um, every great... Like, um, 
everything that's done earlier in the film pays off by the end. Yeah. You know, and that's something that adds to the whole like why is the greatest film? Like everything that was done was for a reason. Uh. You know, mm. there was no loose threads by the end. Everything was tied up really nicely. You mm. know, it was a neat ending which which uh just made you cry, lah, you know. It's one of those mm-hmm. few films where nearly everything was perfect. Mm. If not, it was perfect, lah. Oh, I, I think it, it's as close to a perfect film like, as really you can get. Nit- I, can't, I can't even nitpick it, like, really. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know? Nah. Yeah, yeah. 100% agree, you know. Um, did, did you, like, when you were watching it initially, did you did you notice its its, it's themes about, very subtle themes, uh, albeit, uh, like, mm. it's, it's themes of um uh, immigrant communities in, in metropolitan western cities. The did immigrant you, population you... one took yep. a while. Right, right, like, right. Uh, I mean, like, even, even I was like, oh yeah. <laughs> I mean, even the idea that that Paddington himself is an is an is an immigrant. He's brown. He looks different, and he is, despite how kind or how perfect of an immigrant that he is, right? He is still accused of a crime that he didn't commit. Right. Yep. And yeah, at the end of it, you know, no, nobody could really do anything about it. You know, mm-hmm. like the neighbors and all that, like were powerless uh, when he was taken away. Yep. Even though they were, you know, trying to convince the the, the authorities that there can be no way there is a bear. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh man. Um. Yeah. Yeah. I like hiding all this stuff in metaphor is kind of a time honored tradition in children's movies, yeah. right? You know, and because kids will already see themselves in Paddington, it's easier to make the the leap of understanding. At the very least, you know, talking. Um. Anti bear prejudice. <laughs> yeah. um, similarly, Paddington's insistent on, you know, he's so insistent on seeing the best in everyone, mm-hmm. even the fearsome Knuckles and the, his fellow prisoners. It will hopefully spark similar inclinations in kids, right? Um, and I hesitate to talk about that too much uh, sure. because, you know, I don't want like Paddington 2 to become an object of a culture war or whatever. It has no interest yeah, in taking part be. in that, you know. Yeah, yeah. I, I, King and his collaborators were just making the movie in in the midst of Brexit, with many in the UK kind of made uncomfortable by the increased levels of immigration to their country and unsure of what it means for their nation's future. And Paddington 2 insists at every turn that kindness, empathy, and perhaps a little bit of marmalade are the solutions to the vast majority of life's problems. Um, early on in Paddington 2, mm-hmm. Paddington says, you know, if we are kind and polite, the world will be right. Mm-hmm. Um, it says a lot more about reality than it does the movie that this might you know, like this, this, this isn't a radical political statement. No. It is quite benign. general, and it's quite benign and true. Yeah. You know, uh, and hopefully more people, especially children, which is this movie is targeted to, uh, takes that to heart. You know, um, I, I suppose we needed more movies like this in an era where so many of our childhood children's entertainment, right, aim, aspire to be more adult, aspire to be a bit more real or grim. You know, stuff like that. I, I do think there is a value in kind of the wholesomeness and old schoolness of what Paddington 2 and Paddington in general brings okay. to to a, to a kid's audience, right? Yes. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I guess before we wrap up our discussion on Paddington, sure. you know, like, I mean, give me your, give me your like, final thoughts like, on Paddington 2 if you haven't mentioned anything yet or, or Paddington in general as a franchise. I mean, honestly, the books are sadly not as popular as the movies. Yeah. Um, it should definitely get more of a highlight as well. Mm-hmm. I think because the ideas from the movie, I mean, 
are also in the books, lah. You know. Yes. Uh, I feel absolutely. that it should be one of those things that kids all around the world should read. You know, mm-hmm. the whole idea of politeness and kindness, um, to resonate, empathy, yeah, empathy right, yeah. you know, to yeah, and all these um complex adult emotions, but placed mm. in in um not simplified, but rather in a way that kids can can understand, right? Is so important, right? Right, yeah. absolutely, yeah, and yeah. and that's something that I'm glad that the two movies does really well, mm-hmm. and the accessibility of the movies would definitely help with like, you know, the future generations lah. Hopefully, being nicer lah. Yeah, you yeah. Know? Um, do you, why do you think Paddington isn't as big amongst kids? Uh, at least from where when I was growing up, like Paddington sort of wasn't as big as say Winnie the Pooh or, or stuff like that. Like, why is that? Do you think? I think it's also because of how English it is. Oh right, right. It's very spe- It's very unique <laughs> yeah. English, right? It's very specific. Yeah. Right? So yeah. for us, it's not so bad because you know we are ex English colony, and we kind of can understand the quirks of English society, like, You know. Wasn't Winnie the Pooh set in England as well? Yeah, but then, um, it it was more. Um, fantastical because of the hundred acre wood, whether mm. it be set in London. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. You know, um, I, I suppose also like me being like a like a fat kid, right? I identified with Winnie the Pooh a bit. <laughs> he likes food. He likes honey. I know, I know. Like, uh, gluttony is his one sin, and I'm like, yeah, cool. <laughs> I'm down. No, Winnie the I'm Pooh down. also I... was another bear that I grew up with, so no complaints here. Of course, of course. I think we need to put it was the the bear that most people grew up with, not Paddington. Exactly. Uh, but yeah, I mean, like this whole episode was dedicated to point out like why Paddington was special, why Paddington deserves as much um, attention as you know the other bears like your Winnie the yeah. Pooh and etc. You know? uh, I think simply because it's just a bit more humane, it's a bit more empathetic. It's it's focus is a bit more on kindness and not on gluttony. Um, yeah, uh, I love the films. Um, I, I I started reading. The books, the e-books, like, mm. um, on on uh, you can borrow them from National Library, which I did a couple of years You're ago. Right. Uh, yeah, it, they're adorable. Um, it took me like two days to get through sixty years of work because you know they're so easy to read. Yeah, it yeah. takes you like five minutes to read a book. <laughs> uh, I mean, I I loved it all. Uh. Um, if you have not seen Paddington One and Paddington Two, what are you doing with your yeah. lives, man? It's uh two of the best films of the twenty first century. And your parents, argue... please introduce it to your kids. Yeah, yeah, like um, take your take your iPads away from your kids and maybe put the Pennington book down with them. Yeah. unless you un- unless they're reading the Pennington books on their that's iPads. That's fine too. That's fine. Yeah, that's fine too. Uh, so yeah, we both love Pennington too. In my opinion, best film of uh the twenty first century and the Pennington franchise. One of the most important uh things that you can introduce to your kids like, to to create a better world for the future. Agreed. You know. Um, yep, yeah, um, so to wrap up this episode of Behold, uh, there is uh, something that me and Aisa do, but I haven't done it with you yet, where at the end of every Behold episode, sure. we usually uh, give uh, some mini recommendations about what's making us happy. Uh, the stuff that we've watched this month that we kind of want to recommend to other people, stuff that will not be on genre equality, stuff that will not be on future episodes oh. of Behold. You know, um, is there anything over the past month that you've seen that you maybe want to uh, has spotlight to uh to somehow our listeners here. Okay, I mean, mm. 
Well, uh, how about I begin? Yeah, yeah, it, gives you, you it, it gives you some time to think about it, right? Yeah, sure. Okay. Uh, firstly, I would like to recommend. Um, uh, this has just been put up on Netflix just last month. Mm-hmm. Um, a little late on this, but uh, Bollywood block- blockbuster. Oh yeah, that was the one I was going to say too. Oh well, we can talk about it here. You know, <laughs> uh, Bollywood blockbuster RRR mm. is now out on Netflix. Uh, let me tell you, even by Bollywood standards, uh, RRR. Oh, so, I'm sorry. It is. It is. Yes. Uh, even 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 by you know that region standards, right? Which is known for like very bombastic films, very over the top films. RRR is insane. It is fucking spectacular. Like SS Rajamouli's maximalist blockbuster features some of the most magnificent action sequences, dazzling musical numbers, and supercharged emotion that you will ever see in cinema, or in this case, if you're watching on Netflix on streaming. Um, RRR is insane. It's one of the best Indian movies of of, of the last few years. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the most uh, over the top, dazzling. Uh, it's just it was just gonna grab you. It I, it's it's three and a half hours long. It feels like thirty minutes. Uh, but it's nothing about it. I I didn't like. It's yeah. probably gonna end up in my top ten films of the year. Yeah. Uh, have you have you seen Triple R? Yes, it was beautiful. Yeah. Like I've never sat through a Telugu. I mean, it was in. This was Hindi, um, dub, dub, Hindi right? dub, but but originally in Telugu. Yeah, it's originally in Telugu, and oh my god, it was near perfect. Like, mm-hmm. I couldn't believe it was three hours plus, right? Yeah, yeah. And the twists and the turns and the character development was so beautifully done. That mm. relationship between the two main characters, oh my god, that's like the kind of brotherhood that you can never get anywhere else. Yeah. Um, and they're based on two real characters, uh, who've never met in real life. Yeah, but yeah. this is sort of a a fantasy of what if they did meet. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Uh, two revolutionaries la. and I love that they. I mean, they just took liberties with the history and all that stuff lah. Mm-hmm, Stevenson mm-hmm. is an asshole. <laughs> right, right, right. But he he sort of has made a career on playing assholes, both in Hollywood and in Bollywood. Actually. Yeah. Um, whatever it is, I think Triple R is one of the like top five films of the year. Yes, yes. Um, somebody actually interviewed, uh, I think Vulture or something interviewed mm. Ray Stevenson in um about he how he has carved up a niche for himself mm. in in the Indian film industry by playing like a colonial villain. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he's just like keep giving me the paychecks, man. I'm so good at doing this. <laughs> I mean, it's not like he's. Misrepresenting the colonials, the the British Empire in that era, they were quite assholy. Uh, bro. I mean, come on. I mean, we've like, yeah, they are. There, there is no way. Even some of the aspects of the sh- of the of the film, right? You know, the the torture and persecution and oppression yeah, of the yeah, but... of the that really happened. If anything, it might have been underplayed. Exactly. To be honest, <laughs> the scale of the British oppression on many of its colonial, especially um, the Indians. Especially the Indians were horrific. Yeah. Like there is now this film, if anything, right, it, it under exaggerates what the what the British did to the Indians. Yeah. You must understand, India was basically a second class race, like Indian mm. last time in the colonial times. It's not yes, like a yeah. partnership or equals or things like that. It was literally servant and master. When have the British ever done partnerships? Exactly. <laughs> so that's why when you portray Ray Stevenson as a uh, this colonial master being an asshole, 
totally. Uh, his, his wife too. His oh, wife was arguably evil. worse. Yeah, that was the yeah. woman right there. I know, and it, but you also have like the the token kind-hearted white white girl <laughs> yeah, they, the love interest. <laughs> who fall in love with the main character so quickly. I love that in like Tollywood or Bollywood films, right? That the 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 uh there is the white token nice the the token white guy nice person, you know. Yeah. Like it is it, the is the reverse discrimination of that I've always been looking for in America, where you know there's always the you know the token black guy, but this is token white girl token who's white nice. Girl. Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, go check out RR, yeah, man. man. It's, it's up. It's up on Netflix. Um, uh, I definitely recommend that you check it out if you haven't seen mm-hmm. it. Um, another recommendation that I wanna I wanna make sure. is um a show called The Bear mm. on Hulu. Uh, The Bear is uh is Safdi Brothers level stressful. Mm. Um, it is. It is stressful and it's absolutely amazing. This is a new dramedy that follows a fine dining chef named Carmen who returns to his hometown Chicago neighborhood to take over his family's beef sandwich shop after his brother commits suicide. Mm. This is an unfiltered, unfettered dive into the absolute chaos, toxicity, and abuse that happens on a daily basis inside the kitchen of a, of a restaurant. It is unexpectedly thrilling, and it somehow become the, the streaming hit uh, of the summer. Mm. Um, it's it's a bit like the new only murders in the building. They're very different shows, but you know shows that are that were unexpected hits of the summer. You know, over the, your Marvels and stuff like Roger that. that. Um, yeah, go check out the Bear. It's available on Hulu. It will be available soon next month on Disney Plus as well. My last recommendation, probably the best recommendation, sure. um, is Nathan Fielder's new show. Uh, you see Nathan for you, yep. right? Review. You are the one that always recommended to me. Boy. Uh, Nathan Fury's new show. Uh, I'm not talking about how to John Wilson, which he produces, but mm-hmm. his new show, which he stars in, called The Rehearsal, makes Nathan for you seem very tame. What? Yeah. The Rehearsal is... How do I describe The Rehearsal? Okay. Uh, the Rehearsal is based on this premise that, like, you know, um, there are many real people in the world that are facing, you know, difficult life decisions, difficult conversations, mm-hmm. stuff like that. So Nathan Fielder posts a crack Craigslist ad offering to help these people with with uh, difficult conversations. Like, for example, in 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 episode one, right? There's this guy who is addicted to bar trivia. He goes to pub quizzes with his pub uh, with his pub team, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and the the whole pub team is based on the idea that everyone is uh, is an expert in particular fields. So everyone has sure. a master's degree in something. This guy lied to his team, saying like twenty years ago he lied to his team, saying that he has a master's degree, but he doesn't. Okay. So he wants to confess that he doesn't have a master's degree to them. Oh my god. Uncomfortable so conversations. This, yeah, uncomfortable conversations. So this is what Nathan Fielder will do. Nathan Fielder approaches you, uh, and then he gets actors to like actors to stalk his friends, his family, everyone around him. Mm-hmm. And he gets them to mimic the psychology and speech patterns of all his friends and family and everything. Uh, then he builds a set of all of the of all of the subjects' favorite hangouts, like the bar, his house, in a warehouse, um, and then he he uses that as a practice venue for this guy to rehearse these difficult conversations, oh, no. like several times, 20, 30, 40 times, um, trying to explore every possible permutation of the of the uncomfortable conversation. You know, um, that is real. So it, this is Sinidaki, New York. This is Charlie Kaufman, but in real life. Whoa. Nathan Fielder yeah. really is a genius, man. He is a fucking genius, man. There is another episode, right? Uh, this week's um, episode. Oh, okay. where How many episodes so far? One. One episode oh, okay. so far. 
Right. There is another episode this week following uh, a woman named Angela. She's a 44-year-old woman living in Oregon, right? And she participates in the show's most elaborate and ludicrous rehearsal. So she wants to know, she's 44 and she doesn't have children. So she wants to know whether she should have children. At 44? Okay. At 44, she should. So Nathan Fielder concocts a plan that will allow Angela to simulate raising a son from birth to his 18th birthday over the course of two months. No. By using child actors. No. Uh, and, and this is all set in a fake world built in a warehouse. Um, they, they built fake supermarkets populated by real people, uh, populated by actors playing real people, playing her family, playing her friends. Uh, so over the next two months, like, she will live in this warehouse and see like, how it is to, to raise children, that to raise a child. It's insane. Yeah. Um, each week, this kid who is de- named Adam, by the way, ages three years. So every week is three years. Um, Adding to the chaos, right, is Oregon's labor laws, which state that people under the age of 18 are only allowed to work for four hours. Oh, no. So every four hours, Nathan Fielder has to figure out a way to, to swap the child actors without the mother knowing. How? <laughs> I know. Wait, wait, wait till we watch. Oh, my God. I can't uh, yeah, and, and they try to do it without disrupting the flow of a so-called normal day. Um, it, you know, it leads to hilarious moments like a staffer rushing up to substitute one Adam in a car seat while Angela is busy putting groceries in the car, you know, stuff like that. Um, and the plight of Angela and her motherhood rehearsal takes up the bulk of the rehearsal's first season. It's a bit of an ongoing storyline. Um, and, and, but every episode focuses on, on a different rehearsal. So Fyodor has to spin off dealing with Angela, dealing with other clients. And he's even hosting an, uh, an acting class for poor potential actors to join the rehearsal studio, like the rehearsal warehouse, you know. That is um, and a lot of work. I know. So, like, there are even, like, you know, like, people who play a bartender, people who play a waiter, just bystanders walking down the street, right? Like, he gets them to delve so deep into their character, so unnecessarily deep, right? They don't need to know. <laughs> but, but, but he makes them really think about it. Right? <laughs> it's like method acting, but why? But why, yeah? Just to make the, a, a, a more real environment for his subject, I guess. Right? Yeah. It reminds me of that secret episode, uh. Secret? No, remember in uh, Nathan for you, there was this. Oh, um, no smoking. The the bar, no smoking bar, yeah. right? Where they they do a a, a, a fake theater um production. a fake theater production in in a bar to allow people to smoke. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Yeah, because um, uh, actors are allowed to smoke on stage, but bar patrons are not. So what if you made Everybody a bar into a theater? Actors. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like that, but just like on a much bigger yeah. scale. Oh my god. And that was already crazy. Keep in mind that Nathan for you had a very low budget. Mm-hmm. Think of Nathan Fielder with a HBO budget, oh, with unlimited no. with unlimited resources. Like, what can his creativity do in this type of That's situation? That's genius. Yeah. Okay, I'm gonna go watch it. Like, uh, in the first episode, right? You know the the guy, the, the bar guy, who wants to confess uh, yeah. that he has he doesn't have a master's degree. So during all the rehearsal confessions, right, he becomes distracted by by fake bar trivia. He wants to he wants to gather them together at a bar trivia night and confess to them then, you know. Wow. But then as they start playing the bar trivia game, he gets obsessed with the bar trivia because you know he's a bar trivia aficionado. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he he often bails on the confession to focus on the trivia for the night. <laughs> So Nathan Fielder can't find a way to fix this. So because he's so worried about losing bar trivia because he'll be distracted by the confession, Nathan Fielder tries to incept the answers to the, to the bar trivia night to him oh, wow. without him knowing. So he stalks the actual bar trivia guy, the guy who does the questions. Uh-huh. Um, he gets the questions and answers from him. And then through the course of daily conversations with this guy, 
tries to incept all the questions and all the answers into him. You know? My God. Like for 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 example, they're just walking down the street, you know, and then he he hires an actor to play a cop. And then the, the, the cop says like, oh, uh, this is a crime scene. You can't cross here. You know, you got to go the other side. And then the guy asks, what happened? Well, why is there a crime scene? Oh, th- this guy got shot in the head, man. It's days like this when I wish the Chinese didn't invent gunpowder. <laughs> so, like... <laughs> so it's all in the hopes that, you know, he will get the, uh, the answer, which is, you know, the Chinese invented gunpowder like, for the next bar trivia. Oh, no. Yeah, it's amazing. This show, this show is wild, man. Okay, okay. Yeah, yeah. Uh yeah, so those were my recommendations for this month. Uh do you have any do you have anything that you've been able to think of the past uh for the past month that you like to recommend? Honestly, it's like old stuff that I've been rewatching. Oh cool, yeah, you can bring up a couple of old things too. Weirdly um, because I got COVID by the way over the weekend. Mm-hmm. I had a bit of free time. I, I started yep. watching Naruto. Wow, that's a that's a long journey you have ahead of you, bro. I know. Yeah. It was something that I, I didn't know why I started, but now I can't stop. Mm-hmm. Did you did you watch Naruto before? Are you rewatching? No, no, no. This is my first time. I I never grew up a fan of Naruto. Amazing. Okay, okay. Yeah, but just because I wanted to understand um Israel Adesanya's uh cosplay. Yeah, like why he's so into it, mm-hmm. and I, I kind of understand it now because I got to the episode where they just introduced Rock Lee. Right, 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 right. Which is the later um, half I, of like season one. Uh, Adesanya cosplays a lot of enemy. Yeah, he does. To be fair, yeah, yeah, he, he's a big enemy. But Rob Rock is uh, his favorite. Yeah, yeah, he does it a lot, right? Yeah. That's even his his post fight celebration, right? It's usually the the hand signals for Rock. Lee. Yeah, because Rock Lee is yeah. like he doesn't have any powers. Mm-hmm. He's just physically at the peak. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Nice. Uh, anything else that you've been watching besides Naruto? Oh, uh, the new season of What We Do in the Shadows. Amazing, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, uh, it's not available. Right? Uh, yeah, the first two episodes actually Absolutely, came out. Sorry. Uh, Yeah, uh, episode three will be out this this uh, week. Uh, I loved how they just instantly undercut all the character development yeah. from the last episode of last season. Yeah. Like, within 15 minutes, I'm like, oh, they're all back. They're all being assholes again. <laughs> Yeah, uh, I think the only thing that they carried over from last season is baby Colin Robinson, the, yes, the, boy, the boy, as they're calling him, who is genuinely the most horrific thing it I think is. I've seen in my life. Oh. Yeah, <laughs> like it's horrific, but also kind of like endearing it is sometimes because he's a baby. Yeah, but with Colin Robinson's face. I know. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, yeah, we'll we'll talk about what we do in Shadows yeah. once it finishes, like, on on genre equality. Um, yeah, I, I get that. I guess that wraps up this episode in our recommendations. Uh, thanks so much for tuning in, guys. Yeah, uh, remember to watch Paddington, Triple uh, R, The Bear, especially uh, Nathan Fielder's latest show, The Real Soul, is great. Um, I'm sure a lot of you watch What We Do in the Shadows in Naruto, like, which are yeah, yeah. uh, very popular shows. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, uh, till next time, we'll, we'll be back uh, end of the month, actually, for our new episode of General Equality. And next month, we'll talk about the Americans, uh, one of my favorite shows on the FX. I'm on that, right? Uh, sure. Yeah, yeah. You you requested to be on that, yes, right? so yes. I put you on that. Okay. Nice. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. Um, I I I saw her thing has like one more month to finish the last oh, two seasons. Okay. Which I think oh, the doable. best seasons. Yeah, which I think are doable. Uh, yeah. totally. Um, till next time, though, guys. This has been Hit Zero. I'm Adi. Goodbye, guys. Bye.